Welcome to The Truth In This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I am interviewing the owner, designer of Alisana. Please welcome Patrice Gentile. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rob. So nice to be here. Uh, this is this is going to be fantastic. I want to learn more about because you, you have this... I don't know really describe just I just feel good when I see your work so I want to <laughs> I want to get into um the maybe that that backstory around it give us those vital statistics tell us about your brand tell us about your work um and ultimately you, you know your time in Baltimore what led you to where you're at right now Ooh, how much time do you have <laughs> <laughs> how long are these um well so Alisana is a slow fashion brand which um, for you or for those that don't know uh, what slow fashion is, it's um, basically clothing that is higher quality, uh, higher priced, often handmade or made to order, and it veers away from trends. So it's more timeless pieces that can be worn year after year, um, as opposed to fast fashion, which is, you know, low quality, low priced, mass produced and very on trend. So oftentimes, you know, that's what ends up in landfills because people buy it because it's trendy. And then a year later, it's either falling apart or it's not in season. Um, so I'm, I'm a fast, uh, I'm, I'm a slow fashion brand and, uh, Alisana is actually my grandmother's names. So I, you know, ever since I relocated from Los Angeles, where I started the brand to Baltimore, because I'm from Maryland. So I came back home and, um, I've had a lot of people ask me at markets if the brand is named after the street (laughs) in Fells Point, which it is not. Um, Alice and Anna are my grandmother's names. So I put them together as my brand name. And basically the whole, idea behind that was, I don't know if you've ever heard of like the, the three generational footprint. No. So having uh, my daughter kind of caused me to like, look up this term called the three generational footprint, which is, you know, when I was pregnant with my daughter, not only was she in my womb, but like all of her eggs were in her. So basically when you're in your mother, you are spending time in your grandmother's womb as well, if that makes any sense. So I've always felt this really strong connection to my grandmother's um, just traits, physical traits and personality traits that are aligned and matched up. And I really wanted to kind of show this through line that I feel through them and put that into my clothing. So I named it Alisana. I like it. Um, yeah. And basically I, I launched the site. So my site is alisana.co. I launched that about seven years ago Mm -hmm. and that basically started as a, just a side hobby because I had worked originally when I finished college, um, I have a degree in fashion design and I moved to New York city right upon graduating and I got a job in industry and I quickly realized that I am not wired for a nine to five. I was miserable. It was so tedious. It was so monotonous. And I decided at that moment, I am willing to do anything 
if it means that I am not in a cubicle working a nine to five. And so, um, from that point, I, I realized that I wanted to take all the skills that I had learned in college, which is sewing, sewing, machine sewing and couture sewing by hand, pattern making, draping. I wanted to take all of those skills and kind of branch out on my own. And really my first customers are my friends. And so the website was created with an e-commerce platform just so my friends could easily like order and pay me through that. And so for a couple of years, it was just a side hobby, like a side hustle. And then slowly over time, um, I started noticing more and more orders coming through with, you know, oh, I don't know this person. Oh, this person lives in Nebraska. How'd they hear about me? And so from there on, it just kind of picked up and, um, yeah, it's not, so it's pretty much a full-time gig now, but I also have a part-time job where I sew production for a friend's business. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with my friend a couple of days a week doing, so I'm always behind a sewing machine basically. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll have like with this, this podcast going out, you'll have a few more orders coming in from different, different places. Here's some Indiana orders, here's some Texas ones. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to get all 50 States. <laughs> yeah. That's the goal. That is the goal. That's part of this pre shameless plug. Um, so behind a sewing machine all day with some, always something in your hand, whether it be the couture needle, something along those lines, tell me about, tell me about the process. Like, um, how, you, how do you decide what you're going to make and uh, how do you distinguish that from what, well, actually, um, uh, tell me about the process and how you decide what you're going to make. Yeah. So for me, the process kind of starts backwards in that I will source fabric first. So I, a big part of my uh, brand is um, I try to be as sustainable as possible. So I take a lot of trips um, up to Philly because they have a lot of fabric stores up there that are, they have repurposed or reclaimed fabrics. Mm -hmm. Basically the last step before fabrics are dumped into a landfill, whether these fabrics are, you know, excess unused from a brand or designer or wherever they're taken to these various stores in Philly and sold as, um, basically reclaimed fabrics. So I will go sourcing for fabrics and I'll find ones that appeal to me or ones that I think will appeal to my customers. And from there I decide what they're going to be. So for example, um, few months ago, I would say, I'd say this is probably last spring. So it was quite a while ago. I was up in Philly. Um, I was at this fabric store called Jomar and I came across this huge roll of, it was uh, like a pink and cream colored thin striped cotton fabric. And it just reminded me of like a, a cream saver. Do you remember those candies? Yes. Yeah. Like the wrapper. It reminded me of a cream saver. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. I looked at the selvage of it. It was produced in 1988. So I was wow. like, cool, vintage. Um, and then I was like digging around a little bit more because you really have to dig at these places. It's everything's not a gem, you know, sure. it's like reclaimed for a reason. 
But if you dig, you can find some really amazing things. So I was digging around and I came across a box of these little crocheted strawberries. And I was like, wait a second, these little strawberries, it's like two strawberries hanging from this little green crocheted thread. I was like, these strawberries and this fabric. And it was just like a lightning bolt idea. And I was like, I have to do something with these items, like strawberry shortcake or cream savers. <laughs> like it was all like these dessert ideas were coming to me. And so um, I had designed a pair of pants a while ago that were like elastic waist pants that were like split up the front and like tied with bows. They were pretty I guess I thought they were amazing when I first designed them and I first made them, but they weren't that well received. Like I didn't get a lot of orders from them. And I just, so I kind of sat on this design for a while because I wasn't sure what wasn't connecting. And so when I found these strawberries and when I found that striped fabric, I went to the drafting table and I took that pattern and I cut it above, like there was three bows and I just made a cut right under the first bow and I made them into shorts. And so they became these like boxer shorts, essentially these thin, because the the cotton was a little bit sheer, which I would wear out in public, but I know maybe the majority of my customers wouldn't. So because we were in, we were in the middle of a pandemic and everyone's staying inside for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, Last year, I was like, I'm going to make boxer shorts. It's loungewear. We're all inside anyways. I'm going to use this like pink striped fabric. I'm going to put these strawberries on. And it just kind of all came together. And that ended up being, I mean, I sold out of them um, very quickly. And that ended up being like one of my best selling pieces. And it was really from finding these old items and then taking a design that just wasn't selling editing that a little bit and that was that um but now those pants are selling well too so <laughs> it's all good i i like hearing about that that shift of seeing something that didn't work as it was and it's like let's, let's go back to the drawing board let's see how this will work and you know I've, i have those questions with with people because sometimes people have their ego involved and it's like well at the end of the day are you are you selling something are you trying to please a customer and i think you really broke that down as to, you know, even the second part, which I started to ask, but I didn't even get to it. The, how do you know when something maybe fits for you, but doesn't like fit for potential audience. And I think you covered it. It's like, well, let's see, let's see, let's, let's, let's tweak this. Let's maybe work on this and maybe modify this a bit and see if that tweak works. And that tweak changes things in terms of the uh, consumer taste. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, um, another way, I mean, I essentially at the end of the day, I am designing pieces that I would want to wear. And, um, I do feel like my style is so broad, um, depending on the day and depending on the mood I'm in. So my style does cover a lot of different, uh, tastes Mm -hmm. and, um, I basically am just designing what I, what I'd want to wear and what I would think my customers would want to wear. But a good way for me to gauge is I do a lot of, um, like styling in my Instagram stories, for example, where I would take a piece that I made like an Alisana piece and I work that into, um, things I already have in my wardrobe, basically showing here's this piece that's 
available online. Here's how you can style it this way or style it this way. And I've noticed that when I, some, sometimes the customer just needs to know how to wear it, yeah. you know, like <laughs> how do I wear these pants that are just like cut up the front up to like the, the hip and you know, what looks good with them or what, how can I dress them up or dress them down? And so I do a lot of that on like, uh, my Instagram, just like styling in my stories. That's, that's big. I think people need to see what it could look like. Like I know for me, I, I, I'm six, four, right? So that, that's, that's one piece of it. And <laughs> it's like, all right, that's not going to work for me. That's going to work. Maybe that it's like, I need to kind of get an idea even before I even think about buying it because right now the majority of the stuff that we're buying is, is online. So, uh, mm-hmm. you have to kind of encounter it that way. In fact, you know, my, 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 my girlfriend talks about that all the time. It's like, look, I follow people to see their clothing. If I'm going to buy it from them, she's like, that's literally what I'm doing. And if it looks good, then I have some interest in it. And we, we kind of go from there and what you're describing definitely keys in on what, you know, what that customer would, would want. And, um, you know, I will look at certain things and say, I don't know if this goes with these shoes or I don't know if this, this top goes with this, if I'm getting like a sweater or a shirt or something. But if I see someone and I get some inspiration from it, it's like, boom, there you go. That works. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, my whole style is that I don't ask myself, does this go with this? Like I like make it go. Like I just, I'm like, I'm going to be wearing these like purple shoes with this whatever. And it just, yeah, I just kind of like make things fit somehow. Um, but yeah. Yeah. As I put it up, I'm either in Carhartt or Under Armour at all times. Uh, so, so there you go with that. Um, so your clothing line has that vintage feel and that modern style. So as a designer, what qualities of vintage clothing interest you and what ones kind of like, yeah, I don't want that repel you or have you. Uh, yeah, that's because that, I'm, I'm thinking about this movie I saw recently. Uh, what is it? Uh, Last Night in Soho. And I was like, oh, there's some vintage cool stuff in here. Oh, nope. Yeah, that's just stay in the 60s. So <laughs> <laughs> what comes to mind as far as those qualities that interest you and that repel you from like the uh, vintage clothing? I'll start with the list of things that repel me which there's really only one thing and that is polyester those scratchy synthetic fabrics which you know rose to popularity in the 70s which the whole reason because of that was uh, polyester was pitched as this fabric that you know it doesn't wrinkle Mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be dry cleaned and at the time, you know, women are like getting back into the workforce, but they're also still cooking dinner and doing laundry. And so that fabric really appealed to them. And sure. so that was like the rise of polyester. But I don't care if like I come across a vintage dress and it is like fits me perfectly in my favorite color. And I love the design. If that is made of polyester, it is going on there. It's going back on the rack. <laughs> But as far as the qualities of vintage clothing that I love, um, I really love just like the, the quality in general. I mean, if you think about a piece from 1970 now, that's 52 years old, you know? So if you come across a piece from the seventies and the eighties, that is still, um, you know, vintage clothing that you see on the racks, it's usually in great condition. 
that's a durable piece of clothing. Absolutely. And so what I like to do is anytime I'm vintage clothing shopping, like I'll kind of flip the garment inside out and like I'll take a look at the seams and see how it was made. And um, you can learn a lot from that. And I can like tell myself, oh, I do that too. Like that's how I'm sewing my seams or, oh, you know, I haven't seen this before. Um, so I do love the quality and the workmanship. And I love the fact that like vintage clothing, we, you know, I wasn't around to, to know how it was styled. Like, you know, nowadays, with like current clothing or fast fashion, if you go to the mall or if you go, you know, you're shopping online, you see a mannequin and you see how it's intended to be worn or styled. But with vintage clothing, it's just kind of like you're buying this piece and then you're working it into your current wardrobe. And so you really get to let your creativity kind of like fly with like how you're going to style it or how you're going to work it into a more modern wardrobe. So I, you know, I've been vintage shopping since I was a teenager and that was always the most fun aspect was, you know, how am I going to take this old item that was made before I was even like a thought in my parents' eyes (laughs) and how am I going to like make this me or make this modern? Um, so yeah. And just all like the small details of it, like, um, just like, you know, sometimes like a pocket will be lined in like a different color or there'll be like the buttons have like a little bit of like, um, like instead of like white normal buttons, like pearly, like a pearlescent white button. So I really love like the small little details of, I just feel like so much thought was put back into clothing back then. Yeah. And some, some folks, they kind of inherit clothes, inherit clothing from maybe like an older relative. It's like, oh yeah, this is going to be a dope fit. This is a great dress, so on. And you're like, oh, because of the durability, because of the quality, the, the, the craftsmanship and such, um, you know, one joke that I've been throwing around because of, uh, Andre, uh, Leon Talley's, uh, passing recently. It's like, look, I need to get some capes. If we can like get some caftans and capes and get these over here. Cause you know, I have very similar dimensions. So, I mean, we can, we can make this happen. Just, you know, release the capes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can, Hey, I can do that for you. We can get you a cape. We'll, we'll talk because, you know, the, 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 the girlfriend will love this. She's like, oh, you're doing your walk to Mikado thing. Great. Wonderful. <laughs> I actually have a great vintage caftan story. Um, it. My, so my grandmother, um, Alice, passed away and we, my mom and I and my brother went up to her house and we were like looking through um, my mom had to sell her house. And so we were just trying to look through her things and like, see, you know, what are we going to take and what are we going to, you know, box away or give away. And, um, she had, so when my brother got married, which was like back in, I don't know, 2012, she had worn this like butter yellow caftan to his wedding. It was like buttery yellow. And it had this like turquoise, blue embroidery all over it. And I remember saying to my mom, like, I love that caftan. Like, of course I didn't want to say to my grandma, like, Hey, can you leave me that? (laughs) But I was like, Oh, I love, I love Achu's caftan. We called her Achu. (laughs) I was like, Oh, it's so beautiful. And so as a joke, like when, you know, after my grandmother passed, my mom was like, Hey, maybe you'll find your caftan. (laughs) And sure enough, we like walk into her home and like folded over a chair at her desk is this caftan just like it was there waiting for me. And so now 
I have this caftan. I have not worn it out because I need an occasion to wear it too. But um, yeah, that's that's great. I um, I have this um, I have this one like ridiculous overcoat I call my Ric Flair like robe um, <laughs> that I will wear to any like social things. Is you know you've you're you're doing some passive styling for the girlfriend, and you know you have a I, I would imagine some sense of her fashion sense. She dresses much better than I could even think of dressing. So uh, I do put that ridiculous white overcoat with this like almost um, almost like a dark houndstooth kind of print within it out and it's like that's the one time where i look flavorful and i i always hear compliments people are like oh that's a nice jacket i was like no it's just a lot of it because it's a lot of me <laughs> <laughs> do you do you like drape it over the shoulders do you just like wear it like a and then you throw your shoulders off like rick flair uh yes I do. Okay. I do. I do. It, it is a whole thing. I'm wooing for no reason. It's, That's it's your entrance. It's yeah. your entrance. <laughs> Look, if you can find some ridiculous like leather, some 40, 34 leather pants, I'm here for it. I'm just doing the whole thing. I'm just doing every wrestler's gimmick. Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep an eye out for you. <laughs> much appreciated. Um, so I got a few more questions before I get to some rapid fire questions for you. Sure. Uh, describe the most difficult part, um, of having your own brand. Um, I would imagine there's several things that could present themselves. You're like, this is not ideal. What comes to mind when you think of something really difficult about having your own brand? Um, for me, it's always the most difficult part is always just finding the balance. Mm. So finding the balance between like owning your own business, like between the work and the personal aspects of my life, but then also within the brand and within the business, finding the balance between, you know, if you think about it, all the hats that I wear, it's, you know, I'm designing and then I'm pattern making those designs and trying to fix all of the fit issues and bring out a prototype that I'm happy with. Um, and then it's the manufacturing, the cutting and the sewing, um, packing and shipping and processing orders. And then, you know, there's social media, which is always like an afterthought on my mind. Um, and I really, I spend about 90, I'd probably say like 80% of my time cutting and sewing and manufacturing the, the garments. So that doesn't really leave a whole lot of time for the part that I really love, which is like fabric sourcing and making new designs like basically like taking these ideas i have and bringing them into like pattern form um so it's i mean some days i'm able to kind of do a little bit of production do a little bit of design do some social media and other days i'm just behind the machine all day but definitely finding that balance um is pretty difficult. And then also, you know, I have a toddler running around at home. So she, you know, she hates when I work. So she'll just be like, she'll come right up to me, be like, mommy, stop working. <laughs> and, or she'll just like come up to me with like a book. Like I'm at my machine and she's like, can you read this to me? And of course I like drop whatever I'm doing and read to her because, you know, there will be a day where she wants nothing to do with me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely hard to find that balance. And I think as makers or artists, like you are your worst critic and your hardest on yourself. Mm -hmm. So I have these high expectations of the things I want to accomplish or get done. And really at the end of the day, I'm just one person. So yeah. trying to find that grace, you know? 
That's that's a big thing. Um, I ran run into that still because you know it's been been doing this for for more than a decade, and the majority of the time it's pretty much just me. And you know, people remark upon it regularly. It's like, how do you have your work ethic? Do you have a you know day job? And I was like, yes, I do. And uh, and kind of doing the social media, doing the the web design sometimes, doing the podcast, doing the editing, and all of that different stuff. Yeah, it's you know it's it's a balancing act. It's a constant balancing act, and sometimes. You know, luckily, I don't. I, fortunately, with when it comes to doing this, I don't have any kids or anything. But I do have other, like, really important things to me that not not to that level, obviously, but important things to me that can put themselves to the forefront because I may have been putting it off. And it's like, oh, I probably should catch up at work. I'm kind of behind on some stuff, or hmm, didn't pay that bill because I was too busy going out of town to try to get interviews or what have you, and. It's a constant balancing act. And um, I had this philosophy of I steal time. Um, if I can stack something, that's the only way I can kind of get through some of the stuff. If mm -hmm. it's socializing with someone and kind of, you know, you got to keep your, yourself out there, whether it be for networking, going to a galleries and things of that nature. Let me try to go with someone that I'm friends with and try to cultivate that relationship while doing my networking piece or maybe invite people over to the studio while I'm recording. Just, again, cultivating that social component. Um, because those are the things I find that kind of fall to the wayside because they can easily be missed. That is a really smart, you call that time stacking? Uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, stealing time and time stacking. Um, it's this, uh, ebook that I've been reading, um, how to do, how to do the art of doing the art of doing less, I believe is the name of it. And that's one of the things that's mentioned. Um, if you can automate things and if you can kind of stack things in his philosophy, the author's philosophy is there is no such thing as multitasking. You can kind of put a low focus task of a high focus task that might be a version of it, but you can't really give 100% to both things or multiple priorities at the same time. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm going to have to check that out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's big, especially when you, cause you're, you're putting out great stuff. And I think that's the thing that gets missed. Like when you're doing really high quality stuff and having that attention to detail and having that, that perfectionism that's there is I, I relate to it. You're like, ah, oh, man, I am behind <laughs> or I hope I don't get a bunch of orders. I need help here. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, it's, it's, that's exactly what it's like. I, got like a flood of orders in at the beginning of the year, you know, mm -hmm. a few weeks ago. And I was just like watching them all roll in. Like, this is amazing. Where is this coming from? And then I was like, Oh shit, I have to make all of this. Oh my, and work my, I have a part-time job and my daughter. And so it's, um, yeah, definitely it's, I mean, it's a blessing, but it's also like you are one person. And at the end of the day, um, I've started like giving myself a bedtime, yeah. you know, like I'm like, okay, at 10 PM <laughs> I am done. I'm in bed because I was noticing that I was, I would stay up till like one in the morning finishing an order. But then, you know, the next day I might be dragging or I might be like mm -hmm. slightly off because I stayed up till one in the morning finishing that order. So I have given myself bedtime now. I dig it. So I got mm -hmm. two questions left and, uh, they're going to be these, uh, if there was who, who's that, who's a dream person you would love to style and why? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I would say on like a large scale, I would have to say Harry Styles because I just really admire his style. Um, but 
if I'm going to go like on a local level, my absolute like style crush, like if I could style anyone or if I could like trade closets with anyone, yeah, I'd have to say it'd be Al Rogers. Okay. I don't know. If, do you follow along with him? Let's see. I think I do. I think I do. Yeah. He has the best style. I, I would go as far as to say he has the best style out of anyone here in Baltimore. Um, I just, I admire his style. I love like what he puts together. Um, yeah, he definitely like owns everything. He owns all of his looks. I, I dig it. I'm a fan. Yeah. Now this is the last one before we get to these uh, rapid fire ones. Uh, <laughs> So I, I like to get this because uh, I, I fashion myself to be an iconoclast. I'm a rule breaker. I like to do things the beat of my own drum. So I'll ask you this. What design rule that you learned in like school or you learned through the process that what was the first design rule that you were like, you know what? I'm going to break this one. I like this rule. I'm breaking this. What is that design rule for you? <laughs> um, I think it would be, I mean, like I mentioned before, I designed for myself. Like I, I have a business, I have customers, but yet I'm designing things that I <laughs> would want to wear. So that's definitely a rule right there that I'm breaking. Um, <laughs> but I would also have to say, you know, in college, we studied a lot of like design trends, like trend forecasting, what's coming up that's going to be um, in demand. And I just don't pay any attention to that. I don't care about trends. They don't interest me. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't design for my customers and I don't care about trends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shocker. And it doesn't make sense, but it somehow works. <laughs> well, that, that in itself, it does make like a lot of sense. Um, there's it's, it's one rapper that comes to mind. I always think of uh, this quote from this rapper named Currency and he was like, I don't listen to any current music when I'm in album mode. When I'm writing, I'm trying to make you think of a, a of a previous time, something that's vintage, like a Cadillac or something. He's like, I want you to feel that. I want you to feel like you're listening to an old blues record, a soul record, instead of like a rap song from 2019 or whatever. And I was like, okay, if that's if that's the influence, that makes sense to me. And some people are like, oh, you're not on trend. You're not cloud worthy. You're not on brand. It's like, no, but I'm doing something that's different. And that in itself is going to draw in the audience and the people are supposed to draw in. And they're going to be loyal and evangelist for what I'm doing. Totally, totally. Yeah, and I, I also don't follow any other designers on Instagram. Like, I'm not consuming any other brands like my own because I just... I know like visually what you're consuming is going to have an influence mm -hmm. on you. And so I don't follow too many um, clothing brands. I follow a lot of bakeries. We got, we, we'll have, we got some questions <laughs> in this rapid fire part. Uh, so yeah, I do the same thing when it comes to podcasts. Um, you know, people say, Oh, have you listened to this? I was like, no, no, I don't. Um, and yeah. and not, not to be dismissive or a dick about it, but at the same time, uh, I agree. You know, it can happen just like not even intentionally. It's like, oh, why am I doing that now? Ew, I don't do that. And right, right. And you only have so much time in the day and so much energy to to consume, yes. to consume things. So, All right. I got four rapid fire questions for you. All and right. What, here we go. The, the way that these rapid fire questions <laughs> work is um, answer them as briefly as you can. Um, you don't have to provide any extra context unless you really think it's necessary. Um and I'll start off with this one. 
what is your favorite fashion accessory? It doesn't have to be something that you own, but you're like, you know what? If a person has a great pocket square, I'm here for it. So what's that your favorite fashion accessory? I would have to say gold jewelry. All right. Great. Great. I just bought yeah. a few pieces of gold recently. So I'm, I'm on brand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, now, because your brand, your, your items are influenced by some of the sweet treats, I thought I would a ask this question. If Alisana would have a um, mascot, which of, the, which of these three would it be? A cookie, pie, or cake, or a slice of cake? Which one, which one would it be out of those three? A slice of cake. Okay, I'm a fan. <laughs> um, are you a movie person? Do you have time for movies? Um, yes and no. Okay, then this, this still is going to work then. In your opinion, <laughs> which movie has the best clothing or wardrobe? Like, what comes Ooh. to mind? You're like, because... Because, um, you know, Kamari likes Amadeus. She made she forced me to watch it, and I turned out liking it. And she was like, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a dress movie. It's great stuff. And I was like, it's a lot of powder wigs in this, this movie. <laughs> but it's, it's great. It's great. But so, she, you know, she was like, I watched the movie for the clothes. What are you talking about? <laughs> so what So what movie do I think has the best wardrobe? Yeah, what comes to mind for you? Honestly, I'm a you know, born in the eighties, child of the nineties, I'm going to have to say clueless. <laughs> okay. That's, that's legit. Yeah. We're on the yeah. same brand. We're on the same page. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, if you can keep this local, great. If not also great. Um, what is your biggest dessert indulgence? Um, mm. And where do you get it from? Like some places have really good cheesecake, but their cookies aren't on point. Other places have like the bomb panna cotta, but yeah, pie's a little whack. What, what comes to mind for your like biggest dessert influence uh, um, indulgence and where does it come from? Honestly, right now I am into like carbs, baked goods, croissants, <laughs> really like if I could have anything right now, it would be the everything bagel croissant filled with cream cheese that I think it's by Malliard pastries. It is. Sophomore carries them. Uh-huh. It is. Um, occasionally. That is, it's buttery, it's flaky, it's got the saltiness, and then you have the creamy. Mm -hmm. It's just, it hits all of the, it checks all the boxes. <laughs> that is a very good one. Um, okay. Ashley Farm had it too. Um, I would go there, get that, and a morning bun. That was part of my, I would eat the morning bun that day because I'm not a complete glutton, but it would be, yo, let me get a flat white, that everything croissant, um, and I'm going to walk back to East Baltimore. That's literally what the mornings look like for me. That was a really great, great, uh, great treat and great reference. Good, good indulgence there. So, um, with that being said, that is all of my questions, but I want to invite you to shamelessly plug anything that you want to plug in the last moments we have here. You can probably see I'm wearing my sophomore shirt. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Shout out uh, to sophomore. <laughs> absolutely. So feel free to plug away, tell the fine folks where to check you out, your work and buy some stuff. Damn it. Don't tell the fine folks where to get some th stuff. at. <laughs> so my website is alisana.co. You can also find me on Instagram at alisana.co. That's A-L-I-C-E-A-N-N-A, -N -N -A, like the street. And um, last year, I also started this fun little club here in Baltimore called Baltimore Picnic Club. And that started out of a need to kind of gather outdoors after being cooped up so long 
last winter in the pandemic. So in the warmer months from May until September, we meet once a month um, at various parks around the city. And you can just follow along. And, you know, a few weeks in advance, I announce the date and the place and the time and everyone gathers. We bring snacks. It's not networky at all. It's just like friends gathering and eating snacks and it's the best. So come to that. Well, that's great. And where can he check you out on social media? I'm sorry, I didn't. Oh, um, aliceanna.co. Well, there you have it, folks. I want to thank Patrice from aliceanna.co. Aliceanna, the brand, the whole, the whole thing. <laughs> um, and yeah, um, so for Patrice Gentile of Aliceanna, I am Rob Lee saying that there is fashion in and around Baltimore, makers in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for them.